0: This sermon content comes from Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. Good morning. Well, for the, my training, it's really good to be like in this cage box right. like an animal and holding a microphone. But um, we're doing a lot of praying. I'm going to pray again just so I can get comfortable and get ready to go. So I'm going to close my eyes and you guys just follow along. Uh, <laughs> Uh, God, today, give us hearts to trust you. Help us to believe when we doubt. Give us a drive to keep persevering when all seems lost and blurry. Give us wisdom that is not our own to manage this world. Most importantly, thank you for giving us your son who paid for all our sins and allows us to be in right standing with you Speak through me today, and help us put our trust in your wisdom above our own, because you are the only true source of joy in life. Amen. So, Paul, thank you so much for having me here this morning. This is a true honor. Um, It's so good to see everybody. I feel like I'm at a little family reunion. Like I haven't seen everybody in so long. It's just really great and encouraging me to be here and just share the 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 gospel. What I'm gonna to say today isn't anything crazy, isn't anything you've never heard. It's just gonna be a reminder of what Paul preaches to you every single week. But I'm gonna take a wild guess here. Like I said, I know a lot of you so that it's not a guess for some of it. But I'm gonna say that if not one hundred percent of everyone here, that at least eighty percent of you went to church some growing up. Maybe you didn't go every Sunday, but you went some. That's how I was. I didn't grow up in church. I went to church on Easter and maybe Christmas Eve, but that was about it. But even if you didn't go at all, I'm sure that you knew you guys knew a lot of the Bible stories that we knew growing up. I'm sure you heard of Jonah, who uh, was running away from God and got eaten by a giant fish. I'm sure you heard about Moses, you know, slamming down his rod and splitting the Red Sea. I'm sure that you heard of Jesus's miracles of walking on the water, turning water to wine, giving blind people a sight, and one that I thought was funny that I'm just going to throw in here, was that, you know, casting demons into pigs that they would go run and jump in the water and drown. Um, but the text that we're going to study today, which is 1 Corinthians one eighteen through 25, points out one thing very clearly. What we believe as Christians is outlandish and confusing. Thomas Jefferson said, I do not find in Christianity one redeeming feature. It's founded on fables and mythology. In other words, it's a belief system that is merely a bunch of old stories that has been interpreted a certain way in order to help understand our existence. But have you guys actually taken a step back and thought about the things that we believe as Christians, that we say every day that are true? We believe that God spoke to people, in things through things like clouds, sticks, and donkeys. If your pastor Paul Boakel called me tomorrow and said, "Logan, I was talking to my donkey, and he said that you need to straighten up your life and act different," I'm saying, "Well, the donkey's probably right, but, but." Um, you probably need to like get mental health of some sort. Or you need to stop smoking what you're smoking if you're not <laughs> going to share it with me. And so we also believe in invisible creatures like angels and demons that interact with us, but we can't see them or hear them or feel them typically, but they influence our decisions and our actions. We believe in one God, but that one God is three gods but he's also just one God. You've got God the Father, who is, you know, the big one in the sky. Then you've got Jesus the Son, and then you've got the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's the one that like nobody really pays attention to. And he you know, like goes into people's lives and changes their hearts and makes them maybe smile more or something. But and in my opinion, and in the opinion of the people in the text that we're gonna be talking about today. One of the strangest things that we believe is that we believe that God, not God the Father, but God the Son, Jesus Christ, came to earth, let people beat him up, and then Jesus, the Son of God, was there. Who was there when the whole world was created? Died. It's pretty outlandish, don't you think? The God of the universe is dead. He was a victim of capital punishment, murdered by the hands of the ones he came to save. And Not only did the people on earth kill him, but God the Father, his perfectly loving dad, allowed him to die, sent him to die even so. He was mocked, spit on, stripped naked, had a crown of thorns beaten into his head, nails driven into his hands, and then he died. If you're like me and these things confuse you, make you doubt, or even scare you, let me be the first one to assure you you're not alone. It's very hard to believe something that's not, you can't physically touch, you can't, it's not tangible, you can't see it, you can't feel it, don't even experience it a lot of the times. But let me assure you of this, that in the case of the cross, the fact that it is hard to understand and is confusing at times is God's purpose. He create, purposely created it to be confusing, purposely created it to be hard to understand because it's a much bigger and greater plan that we as humans could ever come up with on our own. God's plan of salvation through his son dying on the cross was the greatest and most important plan that ever took place. So do you remember when you were a kid and you would like work on something as hard as you could for hours and hours and hours and it would just never work? You know, for me, I, I rode dirt bikes. So I'd trying to fix it and, like, you know, piss and be stuck down in the case, and I just couldn't even change it out. And then my dad would walk up and fix it in two seconds with some trick or knowledge that I just had no idea even existed. Well, We used to call that getting old daddy, because old dad would just come in and make you look stupid in the process. <laughs> but that's what Jesus did on the cross. That's what God did through his plan of sending Jesus to die on the cross. He came up with a plan that we on our own could never fix and could never manage. <laughs> So since you guys have been studying through the wisdom psalms, I thought it would be helpful to talk about wisdom in the New Testament. And the passage that came to mind was 1 Corinthians 18 through 25. So hold on tight because I'm going to read this whole text. It's a handful of verses here. So, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of the sage? Has not God made fullest the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preached to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs, and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So, if you guys are note-takers, I'm going to be breaking this text down into three different sections. Um, and I hope you guys like words with the letter C, because I'm going to be spouting a bunch of them off at you. So, one, the word of the cross is controversial. Two, the word of the cross is crucial. And three, the God of the cross is champion. So, before I get into breaking the text down too much, I think there's one question that's begging to be asked. I said this phrase... You know, three or four times in the text and then I also said it in my main points. I think if I don't address this it's going to be kind of confusing. Um, What is the word of the cross? Because I feel like that's kind of this general statement that gets used a lot in the Bible but unless we break it down it might be kind of unclear to what that is. So in Greek the word word is logos. Logos is in the context of Jesus dying is the why behind why it had to happen. So, Logos, this is where we get our English word, logic. So, it's the explanation of why Jesus had to die on the cross. And the word of the cross could be used, in, like, exchangeably with the gospel. It's the, it's the story of redemption from beginning of end. So, what is the logic? What is the meaning? What is the good news? What I'm about to say shouldn't be anything super profound to you. It's something that your pastor preaches every week, but if you have heard this, listen closely and let it be a reminder of who God is and what he has done for you. And I want you to memorize it. I don't want you to memorize what I say. I don't want you to try to take the words I say and say them again. That, that, that's not helpful. But I think it's incredibly important for us as Christians to know these truths and be able to reiterate them. I hope there's people here who hear this for the first time and it makes sense to you. But either way, I just don't want you to just check out, because this is something you've heard a million times, or it's something you've known forever. Take these words I'm about to say, really think about it, analyze it, and see what the meaning is for you individually and for everyone around you. So I'm going to start way from the beginning and dive into this. Um, Like, the very beginning. (laughs) So... God, after he created the world, he created Adam and then created Eve. He placed them in a beautiful garden where they could work and enjoy God, enjoy his creation. But he only gave them one restriction. He said, don't eat of the fruit off of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And, but with the help of the serpent, they decided that that's what they wanted to do. They chose to have understanding like God instead of trusting in god this act of disobedience caused what we call the curse or the fall of humanity from that point forward life was completely different work was hard child rearing was hard giving birth to a child was you know became awful and life was just completely different and so god's people even though he had been so good to them decided to follow their own her own path but because he loved god loved his people so he created this plan of being able to to make sacrifices to kind of bypass their sins he they had to kill or sacrifice or give up things like animals grain and money in other words they had to give god their livelihoods they had to take the best of what they had to offer give it up to god and he would bypass their sin and not kill them on the spot which is what they actually deserved And as history went on, people endlessly turned their back on him, served themselves, animal after animal after animal, was killed. But the truth of the matter is, they didn't have enough to offer. But from the start, from the day that the serpent misled Adam and Eve, God gave the Jews a prophecy of one to come who would overcome sins once and for all so that they could truly be taken care of instead of just bypassed. Through sacrifice, he told them of a king that was powerful, a Messiah that would right every wrong, heal the brokenhearted, and be praised among the nations. Hundreds of years later, failure after failure, dead animal after dead animal, God enacted his plan to right every wrong and heal the brokenhearted. In the small town of Nazareth, that's had a population of about 500 people a young woman young virgin woman named mary had a baby that would be that savior he was the only person to live a completely sinless life and the jews hated him because he did not fit their mold of what this king was supposed to be he was poor he was dirty and he wasn't powerful he wasn't taking over the world he just didn't fit what they thought the savior would be like um and with one of his one of his closest friends Turned his back on him and delivered him up to be killed. They beat him, mocked him, and led him to the cross. It seems like that was the end, but he had just completed what he was sent to do. Right before he breathed his last, Jesus uttered the words, It is finished. On that cross, the final sacrifice was made for all those who would believe in him. The physical pain on the cross, you know, having nails driven through your hands, a crown of thorns beaten into your head, was nothing compared to the amount of physical and spiritual pain that he felt by the wrath of God that was reserved for us being poured onto him. Three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, proving that he was exactly who he said he was. Christ's death on the cross gave every human the ability to know and be with him for eternity. The Jews sacrificed animals and grain and money to make up for their failures, but Jesus, no longer bypassing sin, paid for it on the cross. In our own action, we will always come short of God's glory, but when Jesus died, he became the substitution for our sin. So when I say the word of the cross, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about this exciting story of God's redemption from beginning to end. I get really excited telling that story, as you can probably tell. But um, now that you guys know what I mean by the word of the cross, let's really get into the text. So like I said earlier, the first thing made very clear is that the word of the cross is controversial. Verse 18 says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So right out of the gate, we see that there's two very opposite opinions of... I talk with my hands. I keep pulling this thing away from my mouth. So you probably can't even hear what I'm saying. But, um, uh, so we see that there's two very opposite opinions of... Um, I'm going to, like, glue my elbows down. Of, uh, <laughs> of the, the gospel in Corinth. Um, on one hand, you have folly... And on the other hand, you have power. I think that knowing the Greek of these two words is really helpful to know like what Paul is actually getting at here. Um, so the word used for folly is moria, and I think the phrase he uses in, uh, the word he uses in twenty five helps understand it even more. Is that it's the word moron. So and it means exactly what you think it means. They think that the idea of Jesus dying on the cross for our sins was thunk up by a moron. It's silly, it's not very well thought out, and it's just simply unintelligent. The idea is something that can only be believed by somebody who weak-minded and unable to think on their own. And on the other hand, so you have folly on one and power on the other. The word power in Greek is dunamis. It means power, but it has more of a concept of ability and assuredness. It comes from the word, it's the root for which we get our English words dynamic and dynamite. The definition that I found for the word dynamic is really helpful in understanding what it means to those who are being saved. It is a force that stimulates change or progress. So, the type of power that we're talking about here is an all consuming explosion that creates true mind and life change. So we have two different interpretations of the word of the cross. We so have folly and power, but we also have two different audiences. You have those who are perishing, and then you have those who are being saved. So that's our two different categories of people that we're going to be talking about here. So these two groups have some things in common, but they also have some things that really separate them. Both these categories are on the path to some end. They haven't gotten there yet, but they're on the way of getting there. So those who are being saved, they're saved, but they aren't with God yet. And those who are perishing, they're they're not separated from God, but they are on their way there. And uh, and like like I said, that's the ends. The end is being with God, and the end is being separated from God. The other thing I think is important to point out is that the two different categories are definite. You can't pick and choose where you're going. There's only two categories. I think that's important too. You're either definitely in one or you're definitely in the other. Either you will perish or you will be saved. There is no in-between. There is no category in here for those that are just okay with God? To everyone in here in this room today, are you just okay with God? When you come to church, is it to check-some box, or are you just here because someone invited you? Or is this real to you? Is this power? Because if it's not, you need to reassess where you're at. Um, another thing I think is cool is that Paul, the writer of this text, has been clearly in both categories in the Bible. He has seen it as a fake distraction, but he also knows what it's like to be his power and his strength and his life. Paul, before becoming a Christian, was described as breathing murder against the disciples of the Lord. He thought that they were a bunch of morons who were spitting in the face of his God with their beliefs. But while he was traveling to imprison or probably even kill Christians, Jesus came to him. He blinds him, knocks him to the ground, humbles his heart, and shows him his grace. If, even if you guys may not remember, like my, my wife, she grew up in church. She knew all the Bible stories. She doesn't have an exact moment that she remembers being saved. But for the, the fact of us realizing what the gospel is, we need to realize that we were both in those categories. We were all, all of us were perishing at one moment. But God saved our hearts and put us on the path of being saved. We can't choose it. We can't be walking this direction and say, oh, this is bad, turn. No, our hearts are too sinful for that. So Jesus changes our hearts, and it's the only way that we can change. And that brings me to my second point, which is the word of the cross is crucial. Verses 21 through 24 say, for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know him through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews the man sides and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and wisdom of God. So I see that the cross is crucial in two Important ways in this passage. One, it's crucial for God to shame the wisdom of the world through a plan that only He can fulfill. And two, it's crucial in the sense that without it, there is no other way to salvation. It's the only way, like I said a minute ago. The passage says it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. In other words, He did it on purpose. God purposely made a plan that was confusing. He purposely made it different than human rationalization and wit. God created this world so that he could be glorified and he could give joy to those who were on it. And because of that truth, God created a plan that only he could fulfill. Our plan of salvation would be weak and simple. Why? Because we as humans are weak and simple. Charles Spurgeon here, I bet you guys most of you guys know who that is, but if not. He was an English preacher in the 1800s and is considered to be the prince of preachers he said the word of the cross is not offspring to reason but gift of revelation Jesus must overcome our hardened hearts to understand his gospel no amount of reasoning will bring you to salvation only God has the power to save us nothing in our own action and intellect will ever be enough So it's crucial to believe it forward because God needs to shame the wisdom of the world, but also it's crucial because apart from the work of the cross, we will be eternally separated from God. There is no other way. Being a good person won't save you. Following the rules won't save you. Giving to charity won't save you. Only Jesus paying for your sins, and you believing that will save you. Everything else is just a waste of time unless you're in Christ. So Colossians says, You were dead in the trespasses and sins and uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set it aside, nailing it to the cross. Without the cross, we're in big trouble. If we have to be judged by our own actions, we might as well just give up. The cross is crucial because it's the only means by which we can have a relationship with God and because only God has the power to fix the issue that we've created so deeply on this earth. Um, God saves us by sending his son to die on the cross because he's worth being worshipped and because he wants to share himself with us. That brings me to my last point. The points that we've been through so far are one, the word of the cross is controversial. Two, The word of the cross is crucial. And three, the God of the cross is champion. Verse 25 says, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. I think that if we're not careful with this text, it could be extremely misleading. Um, The reason it's misleading is because Paul uses both the words foolishness and weakness, to describe God. And as we talked about a minute ago, the word for foolishness is moron, and by our knowledge of God, that's not ever how we would describe him. And the word for foolishness is essentially the opposite of the word that he uses for power, which is dunamis. So it means powerless, sick, feeble. So in this text, is Paul saying that even if God is stronger than the strongest man and wiser than the wisest man, that God has weakness or acts foolish? Absolutely not. This is supposed to be an ironic statement that shows how great God truly is. Um, In other words, I'm going to read this a little bit differently here. You can read every book, learn everything that there is to learn. You can know everything about the world that there is to know, but... God is still smarter than you because he created the world. He created the books. He created the earth. There is no weakness in God. There's no foolishness in God. You could take all the steroids that are out there and be the world's strongest man, but you could have all the influence and money, but you're still weak and poor because there is no weakness in God. What seems like foolishness to us, what seems like weakness to us is stronger than anything we could ever think of. Jesus, the Son of God, who was there when the world was create, created, was taken, beaten, tortured. Does that look like a strong Savior to you? Because that kind of looks like, from the outside world, that looks a whole lot like weakness. That doesn't look very strong to me. Growing up, my dad said if someone starts a fight, you finish it. You know, don't be pushed around, stop acting like a whim, fight for yourself. It looked like Jesus was just pushed around, got his life taken from him, and did nothing about it. But that is as far from the truth as it could be. Jesus, in what seemed like weakness on the cross, truly finished the fight. He finished the fight for every single one of us that would believe. It wasn't weakness. It was strength beyond anything we could ever come up with on our own or imagine. He willingly hung on the cross and took God's wrath for us that would believe. That's the most strength any human has ever possessed and ever will possess. The God of the cross has conquered death and sin for us and has paid the price that we owe so that we never have to. The God of the cross is champion. So I'm going to bring this to an end with some application here. I'm going to just give three points of application to go with the three points that we went with. So the word of the cross is true, so be patient and persevere. For those of us who have been saved, we know in our bones that this is real, that this is true, and that our whole lives revolve around who Jesus is. But if we're not careful, thou can sneak up and ruin. When you doubt that any of this is true and you're wasting your effort, remember that God's plan is bigger and greater than you can ever imagine. And something I'm really bad at, and so like these applications are for me. These applications are things that I struggle with that I need to apply to myself every single day. Whenever you're doubting and wondering if any of this is true, I want to encourage you guys to memorize scripture. Because whenever we're in hard times, we re- resort back to what we know. We don't naturally want to trust God. We don't naturally want to just say, all right, it's all going to be okay. But if we are taking proactive steps to knowing God's word, knowing his truths, and bringing them up in times of difficulty, that's the only way to overcome doubt. That's the only way, and even you're still going to doubt, that's the only way to persevere through it is to know God's word, know God's truths. Two, the word of the cross is powerful So share it with confidence. I want to get a little more serious and in your face for this one. Because I think it's a big deal. The only way to true happiness everlasting is through believing in Jesus and his accomplished work on the cross. If someone you know or love or care about doesn't know the gospel, point them to the cross. It's very easy in this world that we live in to work uh, conversations about God to be more about Abortion more about gay marriage. But one thing that I know for sure is that if you're in those conversations, get away from it and point to the cross because no one will ever be saved by changing their opinion about gay marriage or abortion. It'll never happen. The only way anybody will ever be saved is to put their whole life and identity in the gospel and the finished work of the Christ. The rest of this is a waste of time, so stop wasting your time with it. It's obviously incredibly important for us who are Christians to talk about those things, to understand God deeper, and to be obedient to God's word. But for those who don't know Christ, it's a waste of time. They'll never come to believe the things we believe unless they know what Jesus has done for them on the cross. Because they'll never receive the Holy Spirit and have real life change unless they believe what happened on the cross. All right, now that I'm done yelling at you, I'll give you the third point. So, the God of the cross is qualified... So trust in his wisdom. And like I said, I put this application in for me because I'm a, I'm a planner. I like for things to go my way. I don't like for anything to go any differently than how I've planned it. And then when it does, I go into a complete frenzy. I have no idea how to react. I just start, like, fixing stuff, even if it's not supposed to be fixed or broken. I just freak out. But the truth is, is that I'm not qualified to be making my own decisions. I can barely wake up in the morning, go to work, go to the gym, love my wife well, read my Bible. I struggle to do do those things. So who in the world am I to try to plan and predict my own life? It was helpful for me to think about it like this. I'm a construction guy, so hopefully this is helpful for you too. If you're going to build a high-rise building and you've got five elevators, 17 bathrooms, a penthouse apartment with marble walls—the whole deal. Are you going to hire a laborer who has never even been on a job from beginning to end? Just so you know, that's us as humans. Even if you're alive, you've never been—you've never seen the whole building constructed. You don't know anything about it's like to, from beginning to end. And if you're going to impart wisdom, you really don't know what you're talking about. Or are you going to trust the the general contractor who has built millions of these things? They've never fallen. They've never shifted. They've never even had a settling crack across one of the doors. That's who you should trust. Whenever things aren't going your way, before you try to fix them, drop to your knees and ask God for wisdom. James 1.5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. Wisdom does not come from age or experience in this life. It only comes from God. It doesn't matter if you're 70 or 15. The only true, long-lasting wisdom that you're going to get will be from God. He came up with a plan of salvation for us that is far greater than anything that we could ever come up with on our own. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the deep love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. So let me send you guys out with these words from John Piper. Life is wasted if you do not grasp the glory of the cross. Cherish it for what it truly is. Cleave to it as the highest price of every pleasure and the deepest comfort in every pain. What was once foolishness to us, a crucified God must become our wisdom, our power, and our only boast in this world. All right, I'm going to pray for us. God, thank you so much for this group of people that are excited about your gospel, that are excited to be starting this new work in Barbersville and loving their families. God, let them know your word and your work, and even when it's hard to believe and you don't know if it's true, God, comfort them through your word. Give them a supernatural ability to bring up scripture and remember it and love it. Give them a supernatural ability to share the gospel and point them to the cross because that's the means by which people are saved. And give them a supernatural ability to fall on their knees in prayers whenever things don't go the way they want to. We love you, and we can never thank you enough for what you've done on the cross. Amen. Thanks for listening, and if you haven't already, we would love for you to join the work of God as Jesus Builds Mercy Village Church. You can learn more at our website at www.mercyvillage.church.